They say you are an all-consuming fire. The Alpha and Omega, beginning and the end, good and forgiving and living in your love that stretches from everlasting to everlasting. They say you give strength to the weary, increase the power of the weak, and bring the dead to life. You father to the fatherless, home for the homeless. You king of kings and lord of lords who created the cosmos without losing count of the hairs on my head. They say you are God. And when I think about you, God, I ask, what if all the things they say are true, God? What if the songs we sing are more than a metaphor? What if Bible verses are more than a cute Twitter bio? What if when we pray, we're not just talking to ourselves? What if it's all more real than our current definition of reality can contain? What if it's all true? What if you're gracious? What if you're good? What if you're not meant to be understood? What if you give peace? What if you have mercy? What if you're a well drawing life for the thirsty, humble and fair? What if you care? What if you're here and we're unaware? What if you're holy? What if you know me? What if it's true? Jesus Christ was your only son. What if he's the one given for all to break down the wall? What if your call is for me to be free and to see a new reality? What if you're the key? What if you're the way? Ancient of days, El Shaddai, Adonai. What if you are, I am? What if you are? What if you could change me? Let your love rearrange me from the sin that estranged me to a savior who claimed me. And even though I can't see you, what if I need you? And I know you will just be you while I sit here and ask, what if? They say you are an all-consuming fire. The Alpha and Omega, beginning and the end, good and forgiving and living in your love that stretches from everlasting to everlasting. They say you give strength to the weary, increase the power of the weak, and bring the dead to life. You father to the fatherless, home for the homeless. You king of kings and lord of lords who created the cosmos without losing count of the hairs on my head. They say you are God. And when I think about you, God, I ask, what if all the things they say are true, God? What if the songs we sing are more than a metaphor? What if Bible verses are more than a cute Twitter bio? What if when we pray, we're not just talking to ourselves? What if it's all more real than our current definition of reality can contain? What if it's all true? What if you're gracious? What if you're good? What if you're not meant to be understood? What if you give peace? 
What if you have mercy? What if you're a well drawing life for the thirsty, humble and fair? What if you care? What if you're here and we're unaware? What if you're holy? What if you know me? What if it's true? Jesus Christ was your only son. What if he's the one given for all to break down the wall? What if your call is for me to be free and to see a new reality? What if you're the key? What if you're the way? Ancient of days, El Shaddai, Adonai. What if you are, I am? What if you are? What if you could change me? Let your love rearrange me from the sin that estranged me to a savior who claimed me. And even though I can't see you, what if I need you? And I know you will just be you while I sit here and ask, what if? church. I want to keep that question in the back of our minds this morning, all right? We're going to start with this question, what if, all right? And then our goal during our journey here over uh, the next 45 minutes or so will be to go from a really wide idea of what if to hopefully zoom in on um, Finishing that sentence in a way that's specific to you and to your life and to your journey and to your faith walk and to the calling that God has over your specific life in your family, in your context, in your workplace, at our church. And over the next few weeks, we're, gonna, we're doing a two-part series right now called The Brave Life. And we're going to zoom in and we're going to look individually at that question, what if? And hopefully, and this is an invitation from the beginning today, hopefully from, from the beginning we openly and honestly and willingly and a little bit vulnerably uh, allow ourselves to tear some wall down, walls down, to ask some what-if questions that maybe we've never kind of waded into before. And we can do that individually. And then next week, right, we're going to individually come together. We're going to ask some what-if questions for our community some dreams, some hopes, some desires. And, and the goal of all of this, the goal of all of this is to live a brave life individually and collectively together. And that's the goal. That's, that's what we're being invited into. The reason we're doing a series, one of the reasons we're doing a series called The Brave Life actually has to do with my son and cars. All right? I have a seven-year-old son and Honestly, for the last couple of years, uh, he does this crazy thing when we're walking down the sidewalk. Whenever there's a car coming down the road, he runs and he hides behind something. And he's kind of smiling, right? He kind of, kind of a weird smile, but he's kind of, and he, it's just always been what he's done, all right? And we kind of just think it's cute and funny and ha ha ha, buddy, come on, let's go. We got to go, come on. And he'll hide back there and he's waiting, he sees a car coming, he's not moving until that car's gone, right? Not going to move, right? And we just, oh, it's a funny game. Until a few weeks ago, in kind of um, unpacking and talking about this, he told us why he hides, right? We thought this was just a game. At some point in his life, in his development, um, he heard about the idea of that there are bad people in this world. And that sometimes bad people come and they steal kids. And somewhere along the journey, he equated uh, a car that he doesn't know 
to bad people that come and steal kids. So where this went from this fun game now to an, the ultimate reality that he's actually living in right now, which is every time that he sees a car coming, there is a fear and anxiety that crops up in his mind, in his little heart, in his soul that says, I got to hide. That person might be coming to take me, right? Now you can imagine um, the gamut of emotions I went through as dad, um, shame to start with, that how did I, we've been playing this game for quite some time now, how did I not see this coming? And then it caused me to just ask some questions of myself and uh, as our journey that my son has a fear that has caused him to act a certain way. And there became a point where he just resigned himself to that, this is my reality, right? This is my, when cars come, I hide. Right? That's, the, that's, that's how I react to this certain situation. When cars come, I hide. All right? That's the best I got right now. And there was no yearning in him yet to say, what could we do about this? Right? There was more a resignation to, this is just what I do. Right? And he did the best job he could in his seven-year-old um, mind and heart to put, so he put on a little nervous smile when he did it because he wasn't trying, he was trying to just act like everything was okay. And I, this, this hit me like a ton of bricks that, oh my gosh, he, he's now resigned himself to this reality. And then I started to ask the question, how many other areas in his life, even at seven years old, has he resigned himself to fear being so overwhelming that it tells him what to do? It, it guides his actions his desires, just the way he walks down the street, right? And that then caused me to ask questions like, how many places do I do that? And I have now just become okay with, well, when this thing's coming down the street in my life, I hide, I do the best I can, I put my smile on, all right? And then as soon as it's gone, all right, let's go do our thing, right? And so this has caused us to say, okay, I want, and we've been working on with my son, these little brave moments now, when a car is coming, talking about, all right, actually putting it out into words and out into uh, our reality, like, buddy, you, you realize daddy's here, that no, you're safe, right? And as we've been doing that, he's been able to do a little, we're not fully there yet, but he's been able to tiptoe from behind the telephone pole or the sign or whatever he's been hiding Behind, And he's being able to tiptoe out into this new reality that before he couldn't even fathom existed. And it's happening because of each little brave moment that he's saying, I can take a little step out and a little step out and a little step out. And what I know is a life of brave moments, right? A life of risking a life of courage is what God has called us to. And you get a brave life by choosing each individual brave moment. You can't right now. Each and every one of us would love to raise our hand and say, I want to live a brave life. I feel called to that. I don't think anyone here would dispute that. But the only way to get there is by these inch by inch brave moments. And that's what we uh, hopefully are going to wade ourselves into in this series, again, both individually and collectively as a community. And one way or another, from statements ranging from do not fear, to fear not, to take courage, to be courageous, the Bible tells us some 365 times to be brave. Right? We love telling our kids these things, but I truly believe that there are pockets of fear and of shame that have been allowed to reside in our lives just like it was in my seven-year-old and just like I guarantee there are some in my life as well. And we want to we bring those out into the light as best we can. To be brave is to be ready to face and endure danger, danger or pain showing courage. Let me read that again. All right. It's really cool to say, I'm going to be brave, okay? Really, like, that's a, that's a mantra we, we want to have until you read the definition. To be ready to face and endure danger and pain. Who wants to sign up? Hey, I'm really ready to face. When you woke up this morning, you're like, can't wait for some danger and pain, all right? 
It's not exactly what we're excited to do this morning, but that is what bravery calls us into. That is exactly what the Bible, one of the major themes of the Bible is to turn away from fear and turn towards bravery and courage. The only way to do so is to face things. What we're going to do during this series is hopefully be anchored in this truth. It's one thing to say, I'm going to be brave. To say it with words is another thing to act on it. And I think the only way that we do the, so continuously over the course of a life is that we get anchored to truth. We get anchored to the God that tells us to not fear. We don't get anchored to the idea of not fearing or the idea of bravery. We get anchored to the God that walks with us, that calls us to this bravery. To do so today, we're going to um, be in the book of Matthew, and we're going to be studying a parable that many of us have heard before, and I'm praying and hoping, because the, living, uh, the Word of God is living and active, that it, it rests on us in a new way uh, here today. So I'm going to start by reading from Matthew uh, chapter 13, uh, the parable of the mustard seed, all right, and we're going to dive into that here today. It says this in verse 31, he put another parable before them saying, this is talking about Jesus, the kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field. It is the smallest of all seeds, but when it has grown, it is larger than all the garden plants and becomes a tree so that the birds of the air come and make nests in its branches. A little bit of context here. You may have heard this before in a sermon, but I think we have a, a picture of a mustard seed that we can put up here. A mustard seed is tiny. Right? Can you see that on the screen? In the hand, very tiny. A little bit of context. Whenever we're reading the Bible, we have to realize that um, for the most part, we're going to have to step into the context of the story. It just doesn't jump into our context. We have to step into it. We have to understand what's happening. So Jesus is teaching what we call an agrarian society, right? Agricultural society. Most of, almost everyone you know has something to do with agriculture, right? So the idea of a mustard seed is not a rare one. I've, I don't think I've ever seen a mustard seed in my entire life, right? Maybe you have. I just buy the little yellow things and I eat mustard, right? That's, the, the, right? That's how I get mustard. I, I don't worry about the seed or anything or how it gets to it. I just put mustard on my hot dog, right? And so, but this is the idea. He's speaking to people and saying um, that, are, that are thirsty for this coming rain that he is to bring of power and authority, and then Jesus says, here, let me, let me tell you what that's going to be like, okay? And they're, can you imagine the disciples being so excited? Like, what's it going to be like? And they're like, he's like, like this. The smallest of the small. The mustard plant is described as one that germinates rapidly and takes over. In Mark's gospel, the kingdom is similarly described as an invasive shrub. It begins as a tiny mustard seed, and then before you know it, it's everywhere. In Jesus' parable of the mustard seed, the kingdom begins as something lowly. In Palestine, the mustard seed was a common metaphor for the smallest thing. Again, put yourself in the context of the disciples, of the followers of Jesus, and you're so excited for this change that is to come. And the only way that you've ever seen change come in your world has been through power and authority and struggle and strife. And he says, this is how it's going to happen. This little thing right here. This is how it's going to happen. Now, think of a seed. If you take a mustard seed, if you take um, a seed and you put it on a sidewalk, what happens? Eventually, that seed's going to walk on. It's going to get trampled on, right? But if you put that seed under or next to that sidewalk, and you give it time, and you give it water, and you give it energy, what happens? Eventually, that small seed goes through this journey of becoming and becoming and death and life and death and life and cycles to where all of a sudden this little thing that seemed powerless, it seemed inconsequential. Now, have you ever walked down the streets of Portland and all of a sudden tripped on the sidewalk because there's a, a tree, roots, that have now taken 800 pounds of concrete and said, get out of my way? How does that begin? That begins in the smallest of seeds. As we enter into our journey uh, this morning and next week, I want to 
I want to start by saying a what if is a seed. That there are not only dreams and hopes and desires in your heart and in your mind, but there are callings that are yet to be lived into. And what if that we can look in different areas of, li- of our life, and that's what we're going to do this morning, is a seed that is to be planted. And there are people in this room right now that are afraid to plant such seeds. There are people in this room right now that have planted such seeds, and they haven't seen the first bud pop up yet, and so they're doubting this. There's people in this room right now that are holding the seed in their hand and, and are not sure if they should put that in the ground. And there are people in this room right now that have lost hope that this seed will turn into anything. And so we, we hope to unpack and uncover that this morning. Our goal in this series is to plant a few what-ifs. We want to plant the right seed in the right soil, in the right conditions, and trust that God will grow it. Okay? So us moving into this brave life together, there's a few um, principles that um, praying this week, I think um, the Bible points us to, and then life and experience have pointed us to, and so I want to walk through a few of them. First one is this. Brave people live in reality. Okay? Brave people live in reality. And this is what I mean by this. Uh, have you ever seen uh, a video, or maybe you've been uh, a person who's seen this in person, seen a person that spins plates, right? A plate spinner. You've got like seven plates uh, on, on uh, there's a stick or something, and a person is spinning the plates, right? And it's a, it's an ama- I encourage you to Google. It's an incredible skill. And a person spins this plate, and then they spin this plate, and there's this idea. And if you take a snapshot, Right then, maybe you've seen this at the circus or anything else. There's this beautiful still image of a person and seven plates spinning, right? But here's the thing about those plates spinning. They're not all spinning at the same rate. And the job of the person spinning the plates is to keep track of which plate needs to be spun next, right? If you forget your picture of seven beautiful plates being spun, all right, crashes down as the first. There's one right now that needs attention, right? And the job of the spinner is to start them all and then keep track of which one needs some attention right now. Rhythm and balance. Living in reality, walking as a rhythmed and balanced follower of Jesus, every single one of us in our lives are spinning plates. You've got different things that you are doing right now And depending on the family you grew up in, depending on the culture that you grew up in, you have learned a rhythm of which plates get spun when. What needs attention right now? What we want to do is step back from that and maybe, just maybe, be willing to admit that the rhythm that we learned, the rhythm that we know how to do, isn't exactly the right one for for keeping all the plates spinning at the same time. So what I want to do briefly, and this, again, whenever we go on a journey, I say this almost every time I speak, whenever we're doing this uh, on a Sunday morning, I want to proclaim I'm not the only one that's going to do some work here, all right? So you're, we're all going on a journey together. I'm going to present some ideas, and your job is to take that, all right, and zoom in into your life and ask questions like, what does this mean for me? So looking at our lives and the plates that you're spinning right now, I want to walk through a few different um, seven, actually, categories or, or places in our lives that require energy. And as I read them, your job is to simply um, see which one's kind of like a, a dash light. See which ones are blinking at you. See which ones are saying, this one needs some energy right now. Seven areas. So these areas are, I'm just going to read them and see which one kind of pops out to you. Fitness. Finance. Family, field or career, faith, friends, fun. Okay? Let me read these again. Okay? These are plates that you are spinning in your life right now. All right? You're to think which one's going great up there and which one's about to crash up there. If we're going to step into reality, by the way. This isn't, this isn't by the way, the... Um, the perception we want everyone else to have. This is the actual reality of what's happening right now. This is the reality that God sees in our life. Fitness, all right? I'll just leave that one there for most of us, right? When I say fitness, this isn't just about working out. This is holistic health. This is taking care of our bodies. 
This is how we eat. This is how we live. This is exercise. This is um, rest, right? Finance. How's that plate spinning? Right? And again, this isn't just how much is in my bank account now. This is asking questions like, does the way that I spend my money and the resources that God has given me, does it align with his character and nature? Do I want to be generous or am I generous? Right? Does that, do these need some attention? Do these need some, some closer zooming in, some looking at? Family. Each one of these areas causes some what-ifs inside um, your family. And when we say that word, um, I think all of us can admit that that doesn't always just seem, mean our blood family, that God brings other people in our life right now um, friends that, that sit in family roles right now. But looking at the relationships that are going on in my life right now, how's, how are those plates going? Each individual relationship, does, is there a what if that needs to be asked? You know, what if we could spend more time together? What if I said the unsaid? What, what if I risked to say something that might be uncomfortable, Right? field or career. This is different for all of us. This is from the CEO to the CEO of a home, the stay-at-home mom, right, which is a beautiful uh, and harder role. How's that going? Are you becoming? Are you continually getting better in your field? Is your workplace, have you made it a temple to which you are bringing the fruits of what God's doing in your life into, the, into your coworkers' lives, right? Faith, the rhythms of our world, the plates being spun. Sunday, you, let's, let's be honest, we're doing a really good job this morning at church attendance, right? That's one plate of our faith walk, right? But spiritual rhythms of prayer and study and getting into the word of God and repentance, How's that plate doing? Friends. One of the, uh, and I'd say this especially for guys. I've noticed this at my life, in my life, as I grow older and family and everything else, one of the, fir- one of the first things that I let go of is investing in friends. All right? Family takes precedence. Work takes precedence. Kids take precedence, you know. But in terms of just u- these unique friendships and relationships that are in my life, they're normally the plates that I let fall. Right? Just, that's just me in my life. And a lot of the men that I know do the same. In terms of friendships, are there any people in your life that deserve some attention right now that God's calling you to give some attention to? And fun. Right? Many parents in this room, grandparents in this room. It's really, we, we, we neglect that God has called us to joy, to enjoying this life, to enjoying people, to enjoying things, and we get to a place where all we do is work and do instead of delight. It's one of my favorite ideas. The Bible tells us that God delights in me. I look at my seven-year-old son playing soccer yesterday, and I delight in the joy that he has, right? Each one of us are called to look at these areas, fitness, finance, family, field, faith, friends, and fun. What I'm asking you to, you to do is to step into reality. Not the reality that you just want to happen or the reality that you want to project towards this world, but actual reality. Now, we're not going to be able to fix all of it at once. We're definitely not going to be able to do that. But what we can do is look at each seed that needs to be planted and say, what if I gave this some attention? And what if I trusted that this planted the right seed and the right soil under the right conditions will actually flourish? And this is the idea. The goal, as the parable tells us, is for a seed to be planted and to grow into a tree that would then provide life and shade for other things. So each area of, these, of this, what you're doing right now, what you're putting your energy towards right now, the question is, if I start with the end in mind, will this become a tree under which I can get shade? 
how you're spending your money, how you're eating, how you're getting rest, how you're spending time with your family. Right now, I cannot believe, again, my son, seven-year-old, I can't believe that we're half, we're almost halfway to him driving, right? Any parents that are there, it's just crazy to me. Like, he just was this big, all right? He was just a little football, all right? And now he's 54 pounds the other day. 54 pounds. He's a, he's a giant bag of dog food now. How did we get here, right? <laughs> but now I have to ask the question, are, are the things that I am, I am um, are the experiences that I'm bringing him into, are the things that I'm doing, the way that I'm relating to him, the way that I'm teaching him. Parents, we normalize everything. That's what we do for kids. Right? The way that we act, the way that our families run, we teach our kids what is normal. They're going to literally walk out of our families and our lives and our homes with an idea of this is what normal is. I'm then p- trying to project forward and going, okay, 18-year-old Mike, <laughs> I don't want him hiding behind telephone poles when he's 19. All right? That's not going to be good on his first date. Not going to go well. Right? Like, hey, I really, oh, car's coming. <laughs> like, not going to go well, right? We have to project this forward. We have to look at each one of these areas. Is what you're putting your energy towards, your resources towards, your your faith towards, is that going to be a tree that later on that you're going to get shade from? Or is this continually? You look at the the story of Jonah in the Bible. A prophet that struggles with self-righteousness, with bitterness. And there's this journey that he goes through when he he is lamenting over God's graciousness, over God's compassion. Right? And God brings him, and he's hoping that God would destroy this, this wicked people. And he goes out into the desert, and there's a, a plant that grows up, and it gives him shade. And then God causes the plant to wither and die, and then he's in the sun. And for many of us, that's what's happening over, there's a rhythm continually in our lives, over and over and over again. We're putting our energy into seeds and planting these seeds that will soon wither and die. And the goal, what Jesus is telling us, actually, the kingdom of God is a tree that we keep uh, watering, we keep um, giving, uh, putting in the right soil, and eventually it grows into something that gives us life. And that's the idea for the Christian, the rhythm that we walk into. What if you lived in complete reality? That's the first principle. Second, brave people hope even when it doesn't make sense to. God's promises often come in seed form. Let me say that again. God's promises often come in seed form. So what that means is, I stand here today, and hopelessness, the definition of hopelessness is looking at tomorrow and believing that nothing will change. And choosing hope is saying, even though I don't see it, even though I don't feel it right now, I trust in ideas like this. Revelation 21.5, that God is making all things new. As the video told us, what, what if we believe that? Like each and every day, what if we believe that in the places of hopelessness that we choose? We need to be people that choose to live in reality and then Sometimes that's a really hard and scary thing to wade into because our reality is not somewhere we want to be. So it's much easier to wear a mask during that. And that is when it's all the more important to hope in the God that redeems all things and is making all things new. What if we hoped in spite of what we saw? Habakkuk 3.19 says this, The Lord is my strength, my personal bravery, and my invincible army. He makes me He makes my feet like hinds feet and makes me to walk, not to stand still in terror, but to walk and make spiritual progress upon my high places of trouble, suffering, or responsibility. There are people in this room right now that are standing still in terror. There are people in this room right now that have stood still. Uh, still in terror and have overcome that, but aren't telling your stories of overcoming. And I know uh, in my life, it's been getting next to other people that tell those stories, those stories of bravery, of courage, of overcoming, that that give me, it's almost like they give me, the word encourage means to give courage, right? That their courage shown 
uh, before me gives me courage to say, okay, I don't know if I can do it right now, but, but I'm trusting that God has worked in your life and I'm trusting the, the words of the scriptures. I'm trusting that hope is something to believe in right now. Are there any pockets in your life of hopelessness that need to be brought into light? There's, if you read the Psalms continuously, there's this idea, the, the bipolar David that we read in the Psalms, right? That in the same Psalm, is like, God, where are you? How can you do this to me? At the end of the Psalm is saying, God, you are so great. I am so blessed, right? How, how does that happen? It's almost as if David continually is, is experiencing what he's feeling right now. He's, he's putting it out there. He's proclaiming what is reality. And then he's almost talking himself into what he already believes, Right? You ever been in that place before where you are in such a place of desperation, of hopelessness? You know deep down that God is good and that he's faithful, right? that he provides. Right? But right now when I'm looking, it doesn't make any sense. And you almost have to talk yourself back into that. Maybe you do that with your friends, with your family, with your kids. This is the idea that we're continually choosing hope. We're choosing it. What if you hoped in spite of what you saw right now? In all these areas that we talked about in your family, in your marriage, have you resigned yourself to a marriage, to relationships that are just what they are? This will never change. So so why, why would I keep hoping? Why would I put energy towards that? Why would I risk vulnerability? Why would I risk being hurt? As we talked about at the beginning, that's exactly what braver is to risk, to step into that place. The third principle, brave people act. They move, they go. Every brave decision that I have ever made, the only regret I have is that I didn't make it sooner. Let me say that again. Every brave decision that I have made, the only regret that I have is that I did not make it sooner. So many areas of risk to happen. So many areas of waiting out to happen. And I have been a person, honestly, at times shackled to fear. Right? There's different kinds of, of people that look at a problem. Right? I, for a lot of my life, when I look at a problem, right, maybe you're in a, a business setting and, you talk, and you're problem solving, maybe in your family or maybe in your friend group or anywhere. There's different kinds of people. There's people that you, when you present a problem or you present a new way forward or a change, right? I've been one of these, and I'm, I'm a recovering addict of this. I'll, point, I'll, I'll uh, poke 11 holes in your plan. Right? I'll look at all the problems that could happen. Right? Well, we can't change that because this, 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 and this could happen. So we, we better just stay right where we are. Right? We better stay right because what if this happens and what if this happens and what if this happens? But the idea is brave people act. Brave people trust that there is a new reality to be had that maybe we don't see yet. Maybe we haven't experienced yet. This is hard to do sometimes. This is really hard to do in church sometimes, especially Christians. Can I be honest? We do not like change, right? We do not. We want, we want our 9 o'clock service. We want coffee to be ready. We want the same parking spot every single week, right? No construction in the parking lot. I want to sit. Who is sitting in my seat today? Anyone have that today? Anyone have that today? I did this. All right, I used to be this. Uh, I'm still a punk, but I was way more of a punk when I was younger. And I took the sociology class, and they talked about the idea of people like to sit in the same seat. And you and I did in college, right? So the rest of the quarter, I moved seats every single day. And I looked forward, and I just kind of in the corner of my eye, I waited for the person to come in and be like, and he'd just sit, they'd come, and they'd sit behind me. And then they'd take someone else's seat, and then that person would come in and get mad, right? We hate change. We hate change, right? But sometimes change is really good. Often change is really good. And if we look at the rhythm of the scriptures, the mustard seed planted becomes and becomes and becomes something good. But you have to trust along the journey. There's a, a, a subtle shift happening in one of our ministries here at Kesed that I want to talk about just for a minute. Um, one that I am blessed to oversee. For the past... Um, um, six, seven months, we have been doing uh, youth ministry at a place called TKP. And what that has been is a uh, kind of joint partnership between different churches that are coming together and doing youth ministry together. And it's been a, a wonderful experience for us and uh, a blessing. And when we started this whole journey, uh, we were a church without a building. And we partnered with a church that had a building. 
and coming together. I had some experience um, doing large um, group youth ministry. And so our teams coming get together, the relationships built coming together, myself and uh, pastor at Living Hope uh, named Josh Curtis were just like, we had this wonderful bromance together. Uh, and we came together and we just kind of dreamed about what could be. And even then it was a seed that we planted. Well, um, a blessing has happened in Josh's life. We've been doing this youth ministry for about seven months now. And a blessing has happened in Josh's life to where he has accepted a new position as a campus pastor here in Vancouver. His wife was a professor at, Mono at Multnomah, and they canceled his, her program. And so half of their income went away in their family. So how would that work for you, right? I don't know about you, but I don't have that margin in my life. And they were praying. We were all praying about what is next, and this opportunity came um, forth that provided for his family, that brought insurance for him, and so he prayerfully with his family accepted this position, right, which obviously brought with it some change to our partnership that we were doing, but um, Josh is one of the most amazing men of God that I've ever met in my life, and so because of that partnership, uh, everyone involved in um, that, or because of that switch and that transition, everyone involved started to pray to go, Lord, what are you doing? Well, I don't know if you've heard, but um, Kesset kind of has a building now, which is pretty exciting for us. And we've actually said, well, what if we now, for the first time ever, did our youth ministry at our building, all right? And so what we plan on doing, we announced this this last week uh, to the students and in a really exciting but beautiful tearing, all right, um, that, that each church involved now is, is going to plant their own youth ministry. We're going to do a celebration this week for the kids for our journey that we've gone on. And then on May 31st, we're going to do a gathering, and this is where you're involved in this. This is why you need to know this, okay? We're going to do a gathering for not only students but parents, a potential uh, youth leaders, youth workers, youth helpers, youth servants, all the above, all right? There was a point... When I was just a dude, 21-year-old dude sitting in a youth group, and there was just a little idea that I want to help kids, right? I want to, I, I want to help kids, and it was a terrifying thing for me. <laughs> and then little by little, I, that seed was planted, and by the grace of God, people came in, and God um, moved and prodded me forward. And 13 years later, I'm still doing youth ministry now. And there are people in this room that need to come. You have little seeds that say, I want to invest in teenagers' lives, and I have no idea how to do that. And I'm like, awesome, let's plant that seed. Let's see where that is. So we are going to do, we, first of all, we're starting a youth ministry that we are call, calling KSM, which is Kesset Student Ministries. And this will be middle school and high school on Wednesday nights. And to start the whole thing, we're asking every parent, every student that is a middle schooler and a high school to come and be at this event on May 31st as we kind of unveil what's next, our summer plans, some of the vision. And here's one of the best things about it, all right? For youth ministry, we're right across the street from Dairy Queen. Anytime you want, you can get a dilly bar. Anytime you want, right? So I just want to talk about that little seed that we're planting right now. Uh, in this place, and that's a change, and that's honestly pray for our team because it's a hard because because anytime you change that that messes with relationships, and that's just a hard thing to do. We had a week last week that was difficult because I'm going to miss my friends, right? I'm going to miss some of these people I got to do ministry with, and life with, and so. But we're inviting you guys to be a part of that. Brave people act, and it's been a little bit scary, if I'm honest, as a leader, to step out into this, to say, oh, we feel like the Lord is leading this way in our youth ministry, all right? But I stand accountable before God, and so will you, for the ways that he's, he's propelling and, and, and speaking into your soul to act. Are there any areas in your life right now that require some action? That you're sitting right now, and you're waiting for someone to give you permission to act. Not that I have the power or the authority to do so, but I give you permission right now. There are small seeds that need to be planted, right? We want to start with the tree. But God says, we start with this, something this small. These small what-ifs, these small yearnings, these small whispers in our soul. What if? What if? I sat actually um, right there during our, I, I'm blessed uh, to be on staff here at Kesed, but often what that means is that I don't get to attend our Sunday services, and so I listen to our podcast, but when we did our uh, Saturday service, I got to sit, uh, actually, sorry, our Good Friday service, I got to sit 
And as, as Danny taught about the Easter story, about the, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, I can say as a 13-year Christian, it hit me in a whole new way, right? The actual story of death, burial, resurrection is the rhythm of the Christian life, that we are continually bringing things and desires into our, of our lives to death. We're asking God, which ones need to die in me right now so that a burial and a resurrection and new life can happen. Now, I was confronted with this idea. I really, really, when, when I feel God bring me to a death of something in my life, I really, I really would like him to tell me what the new life is before. Like, I'm, I'm going, cool. Lord, I kind of see like that could be an area that we need to move forward in, but um, can you put on the table uh, what new life is exactly? And I'll choose one, two, or three, all right? And then, and then we can do this together. And God's continually just going, nope. It's not really the way that I designed this world to be. So this, in this, we are to be building trust along the way. In this, you're to be building faith in me. And I, over and over again, I, re I rebel against this truth and this idea that, no, 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 I want it my way. All right? If you want to see what some things that need to die in Chris is that I like it my way, how I see it, right? And God's saying, if you could just trust that the areas that I'm bringing, um, as, as one leader says, to sunset, to death in your life, the stuff I have on the other side of that is beautiful and new and will bring you life. But I'm not going to fully re reveal that to you. I'm not going to fully show it to you until you fully welcome yourself, bring yourself, surrender yourself to this death. Death of what I know, death of even some of my beliefs, some of my upbringing. A few questions for us. What if I lived into this rhythm? What if I stopped pushing against what needs to die in me, my fears and my desires? And what if I actually entered into the rhythm? What if I trusted that what was being planted will grow my hopes and my dreams, even the little whispers that God's put on your soul? What if I participated in my own resurrection? That the, the uncomfortable feeling when we're kind of stepping out into wilderness, stepping out into new places that I trusted that that's actually where exactly where I'm supposed to be. Exactly where I'm supposed to be. What if I believe these things? We're going to enter into a time of communion. We're going to have our worship team go ahead and come out. Um, and by doing so, we're going to celebrate this rhythm. We're going to celebrate the idea that a brave life means that I am welcoming death into my life. What a crazy thing, right? That we as people welcome death into our lives, but the only reason we are able to do so well to live this brave life is we're anchored to the truth that our Savior has overcome death. That death no longer has its sting. That life and the life on the other side is much better than anything that we would hold on to right now. I do not want my son hiding behind telephone poles the rest of his life. And that means we have to do the hard talks. We have to do the, the encouraging um, and even nudging <laughs> at times, right? So that we don't live in that place anymore. I want to read the... Um, from Luke 22, as Jesus describes communion, and then what we're going to do is we're going to pass and receive communion together. Luke 22, verse 14 through 20. When the time came, Jesus and the apostles sat down together at the table. And Jesus said, I have been very eager to eat this Passover meal with you before my sufferings begins. For I tell you now that I won't eat this meal again until its meaning is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Then he took a cup of wine and gave thanks to God for it. Then he said, take this and share it among yourselves, for I will not drink wine again until the kingdom of God has come. This mustard seed that starts at something so small 
and grows has come. He took some bread and gave thanks to God for it. Then he broke it in pieces and gave it to the disciples saying, this is my body which is given for you. Do this to remember me. And after supper, he took another cup of wine and said, this cup is the new covenant between God and his people, an agreement confirmed with my blood which is poured out as a sacrifice for you. We're about to enter into a time of worship together. And my encouragement for you is that you don't settle for the easy answer to your what if, for the surface answer, that you enter into this rhythm. You enter into death, burial, and resurrection. What needs to die right now? Are you inviting God into that space? What needs to be buried right now? And what can you participate in that's going to bring not just life, but life that will grow up into something that will bring shade not just to yourself, but to others as well. The team's going to sing a song, and our team's going to pass communion. And and what we chose today is that you would just spend some time. You're going to take communion just at your seat when you're ready during the worship. And my hope and my prayer is that you would not glaze over this time as one that is just religion, but is an invitation into relationship, into this rhythm, into this phrase of life. All right? Let me pray for us, and we'll go into a time of worship and communion. Heavenly Father, Lord, this rhythm I continually rebel against, Father, this rhythm I, if you were to really uh, ask me what I want, I would rather not do. But this last Easter, And the experience of my life remind me that this is the rhythm that you are inviting me into. And so, Lord, I trust in it. I freely walk into it. And I pray over this room right now that we would be people individually and collectively that would trust that the seeds that you have planted deep inside of us, Lord, they need to be watered, they need to be given attention. And we can trust that they would grow into something even greater than what we could see or know right now. So we trust in you, Lord. We receive communion, believing in this, hoping in this, Lord. And I would say this to you. Out of this, Lord, we act, we go even before we're ready. So, Father, we proclaim this to you. We give this time to you. We receive communion, welcoming this into our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said, amen.